to walk this earth Gentle like your father Joyful like a child secure Make me brave to speak your words Give faith that beckons miracles Make me pure and holy yours I wanna be like you I wanna be like you to worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you're here worshiping along with us. At this time, I invite you to stand up and extend the peace of Christ to one another.
Psalm, Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us, and his faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Amen. love to teach that to you now.
seated and at this time I'd love to invite our our little ones, our older ones, our our kids. I I keep messing that up but our kids, you guys are invited to uh, head over to the door over here, join April over there and uh, we're going to offer a blessing and you're going to offer one in return. As they head that way, just a couple of uh, little announcements. This Thursday, uh, July 14 at 9 a.m., parents, we're going to have a little movie morning right here in the great room. We're going to project it on the wall, and so that's going to be a wonderful time of some snacks, some goodies for those of you who have that space and looking for something to do. We have that. All right. You guys ready? Adults, are we ready? All right. Let's go. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Awesome. Hey, we praise and we thank you. We are so blessed by our kids. Amen, amen. Amen. Uh, Also, uh, a week from tomorrow is the beginning of our summer service week and you've been noticing some communications if you can if you can offer some time or some donations we're still looking for a few of those contact Mary DeWitt with that information or that willingness or any questions that you might have Um, but as we open with a word of prayer um, let's turn to God's word Psalm 111 praise the Lord 
I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the land of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Lord, we thank you for the words of the psalmist that express so beautifully, Lord, the praise and the worship and the glory and the honor that you deserve. For God, you are great and you are powerful and you are mighty. Lord, we confess that so often we forget this truth about who you are. Lord, in our brokenness, in our self-centeredness, Lord, we lose sight of your greatness and your power and your might and your presence in this world. But Lord, it is true. Lord, give us eyes to see, we pray, Lord, that, that, that to see your greatness in this world that you've created. Lord, may we see how your hand is at work in mighty ways in in both the vastness of this world and this universe that you put into place, but also, Lord, in the precision and the detail of the smallest piece of your created world. We thank you for your hand and your wonder. Lord, we thank you for, for how you continue to provide. Lord, this past week, we thank you for some rain that we desperately needed. Lord, that you send rains that water the earth and up from the earth, Lord, you provide nourishment and food. Lord, we thank you for these gifts. And Lord, as we think of our, our failures and our sin, Lord, we're also mindful of the forgiveness and the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Lord, that nowhere in this world Has your power and your love been more greatly demonstrated than in the work of Jesus Christ? And Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that out of love, you stepped into this broken world. You took on human flesh. And Lord, you lived a life showing us and teaching us how to live. And Lord, at the end of that ministry, Lord, you gave of yourself. You laid down your life, dying a painful and brutal and undeserved death on the cross. Lord, so that we could be with you, so that our sins would be forgiven, that that we would be united to our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. We thank you for this work and this good news of the gospel. And Lord, as we think about our world in which we live, Lord, we need reminders. We need this gospel. People need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, a God who, who loves them, who died for them. Lord, we look at our world and, and, and our nation and we look, we continue to see conflict and wars that continue to rage on. We, we, we look at and try to, try to think about what the future holds and there continues to be uncertainty with the economy and all kinds of things. But Lord, the only, the only answer to all these things that, that, that worry us and bring about anxiety in our hearts, Lord, The only thing that is sure is the good news of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, we have a place with you both now and forever. We thank you for that good gift, Lord. And we thank you for what that means in our lives personally as well. Lord, right now, one of of your sons, Larry, uh, Larry Van Newell is, is in the hospital. We got an email with some heart issues and Lord we thank you that he's, he's stable and he's asking us to pray and so we pray for Larry, we pray for Ruth, Lord as they await some tests tomorrow, God that your hand would hold him close, hold both of them close that they would experience your love and your grace, the goodness of the gospel. Lord as we think of Larry and Ruth, Lord we, we know that there are many needs among us. Lord, some that we are aware of, some that we might not be aware of, but Lord, those that are your children that you call your beloved who need to know and experience your presence in very real and tangible ways, even in this moment. And we pray, God, that you would meet us in our time of need. 
that you would reveal your love, that you would reveal your grace, that you would reveal a peace that surpasses understanding. Lord, as we face uncertainty moving forward. Lord, that you would, you would comfort us in our grief. Lord, that you would remind us of the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we thank you for this gift of the gospel. And Lord, we thank you too for the gift of your church. Lord, you call us to be your hands and your feet. You call us to be a light, not only to the nations that others would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord, but that we could proclaim your goodness and your peace and your love to one another as we walk through this journey of life. Lord, may we grow in these gifts of living into this gospel truth, both in, in how we speak and what we speak and also in how we live. So that, Lord, Heart Awake Ministries would be a beacon of hope here along the lakeshore and beyond. We pray all, pray all this in the powerful, wonderful, loving name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior and God's people say together, amen and amen. Hey, uh, good morning, good morning, Fusion. Good morning. Uh, I, I guess I forgot to mention who I am. I'm Pastor JB. If we haven't met, I uh, would love that opportunity to meet maybe after the service around some donuts and some coffee. Would, would love to do that. I, I don't know about you, but it's, it's good to be back inside our air-conditioned space uh, after last week's outdoor service. But, but I don't say that because I, I don't know about you, but last week was, was beautiful. Uh, I don't know about you, I, I just, just standing there and seeing three worshiping bodies joining together for worship in the glory of God's creation and, and hearing the birds and I, and I guess there was an appearance by a dog from the neighborhood that kind of came and made a visit, but it was, it was beautiful and wonderful and uh, grateful for that opportunity as well. Uh, just on a, on a personal note, um, our family uh, is, is heading off on vacation. Uh, Yvonne's family's uh, from California, so every summer we head off west. Uh, this, week, this time we have a special little 50th anniversary celebration for her parents and so we appreciate your prayers that uh, we'd get there uh, safely and healthy um uh, also, in the email I sent, um, Luke Kerrig, Luke and Kelsey Kerrig uh, are coming to the States for an extended trip. Um, the plan was for them, for Luke to actually preach here on Sunday, but their trip got pushed back and it's looking like that might not happen, which is a huge disappointment. Um, but hopefully well, there'll be some opportunity to engage, to be encouraged and to encourage them as well, as I know uh, they are a beloved part of this community as well. But today... We continue our summer sermon series, Everyday Wisdom. We got the graphic up there. It's been a journey through the Proverbs uh, and the wisdom literature of Scripture. Uh, up until this point, we've really focused on wisdom, specifically knowing wisdom. How do we become wise has been the, the question we've been asking. We've, we've looked at wisdom and foolishness. Uh, but today, we, we shift slightly uh, to understanding God's order. We, we talked about how wisdom is personified in the book of, of, of Proverbs, and, and wisdom is kind of weaved throughout God's created world. And so how do we understand God's order? And this is going to allow us to actually explore Proverbs and how Proverbs speaks of God's order in the created world. But we're also going to, this in the coming weeks, we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job and how those uh, become conversation partners with Proverbs because the world we live in has been broken by sin, right? And so there's these different voices that kind of balance out uh, this order and our experience. And I don't know, I'm really looking forward to that. But before we get into any of that, what we're going to be doing today is returning to a theme we touched on week one. That theme being the fear of the Lord. This is a foundational, foundational principle and truth in the Proverbs and in the wisdom literature of Scripture. Uh, we need to have a proper understanding of this, uh, this principle of the fear of the Lord in order for us to become wise disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. Here's the challenge in that. The challenge is, uh, although this phrase, the fear of the Lord, is used many times in the book of Proverbs, it's never actually specifically defined. Uh, we're, we're told of, of the fear of the, the importance of the fear of the Lord and gaining wisdom. We're told multiple times the fruit that comes from fear of the Lord. Uh, but remember, Proverbs is not a linear work. It, it, it is kind of this tapestry, and so these ideas are kind of weaved throughout. So this morning, instead of just finding this chapter verse that defines the fear of the Lord, we're going to be kind of jumping around a bit in the book of Proverbs. We're going to highlight these three passages, and then we're going to lean into some other passages 
passages of scripture that kind of help give us a more robust understanding of the fear of the Lord. Does this sound like a plan? That is the roadmap. Uh, So as we look at God's word from Proverbs chapter 1, chapter 9, chapter 14, if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we honor our Lord as God speaks to us through his word this morning. We'll begin with Proverbs chapter 1. This goes back to week 1 of our our series. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Jumping to Proverbs 9, verse 10, kind of echoing a similar sentiment. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And then jumping ahead to Proverbs 14, some of the fruit that comes from the fear of the Lord. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of of death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word, which is a, a fountain of, of wisdom and truth. Lord, may, may your word teach us, reveal truth to us, challenge us and comfort us in all the ways that we need to be challenged and comforted, we pray. All this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Fear. (laughs) You know, fear, this this just idea, this word fear gets a lot of airplay today. And, uh, And I think for good reason. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about fear because fear is, is a powerful emotion. I think we know that. And not only do we know that fear is a powerful emotion, but I think we all recognize that fear can, can, be, a, can be used in kind of manipulative, controlling, and, and even profitable ways. And I'm sure each of us have organizations or agents that, you know, that, that, that use fear in those kinds of ways. And, and for that reason, I think Overall, in general, fear kind of gets a bad rap in most circles, right? We, 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 we say that fear is for the weak. We, we speak against fear. Um, and, and in that same way, then we say that fearlessness is celebrated in our culture, bro- more broadly speaking. I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, I, I find myself continuing to make 90s references, and I guess I apologize for that, but that is the era in which I grew up. Uh, so I don't know if you remember the, the, the 90s kind of clothing brand by the name No Fear. Does anyone remember these, these shirts and that logo? Anyone? Anyone willing to admit you had some of these shirts? All right, there we go. There we go. The brave. Now you're truly showing you have no fear. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. It's a great brand. Yeah, great. Um, I, I guess I found the most ridiculous T-shirt I could find. I'll let you read that. Um, but, but, but if you remember that, that brand, and, and really the brand is kind of promoting extreme sports, and we kind of get it because if you're going to ride a motorcycle or do these extreme sports, it, it requires overcoming a certain level of fear, uh, certainly beyond what I could do. Um, but here's the thing about that just slogan taken at face value uh, if, you, if you, like, actually live out no fear, like, like being a person who has absolutely no fear, can we just admit, like, that's idiotic, right? Like, that, that's just not smart. That's not intelligent. That's not wise. We, we all need, and God has given us, a certain level of healthy fear about certain things. Now, also, I'm sure a clothing brand by the name of, you know, Healthy Fear or Some Fear, right, probably wouldn't sell that many t-shirts and so we kind of jumped to hyperbole, right? But I remember, you know, and I think fear, that kind of healthy fear grows with age. Anyone? Anyone? Okay. So I remember this moment, Yvonne and I were, were dating and it was, it was the first time, we, she didn't know this, but we were coming to the Midwest and I was going to ask her to marry her, marry me, marry her, marry me, uh, right? And, and so for the first time, she came to Brown Deer, Wisconsin, to my family home and I'm kind of giving her the tour of this house that I spent so many formative years in. We get to the backyard and, and there's the trees in the backyard. Maybe I've shared this story. And there's this tree in the backyard and it's the tree that as a kid, I would, I would just climb up in this tree as a young kid, you know, and I'm just swaying back and forth in this tree. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to really impress my future wife. I'm going to climb the tree. 
yeah, she's not impressed by it. So I, I start climbing this tree. I'm like, this is the tree I climbed up. And I get about halfway up and I, and I look down. I'm like, what am I doing? Like I could fall from this tree and like break multiple limbs. Like I suddenly in that moment had this healthy fear, some fear that I probably in my older years should not be climbing trees. So in wisdom, I don't climb that many trees anymore. Healthy, some fear. Here's the thing. I think we understand that on one extreme, no fear is, is not healthy. And I think we also recognize from our culture that on the other extreme of that, like if we're living by all fear and we're totally consumed by fear that, that, that para par paralyzes us, right? That's not good. And so somewhere between these two extremes of no fear and all fear is this kind of healthy fear, right? I think we can kind of grasp that. So as we begin to talk about, about fear and this kind of concept between these extremes and healthy fear, how does this actually relate to what we're studying and what we read in the Proverbs and in the Bible about the fear of the Lord? How do we understand the fear of the Lord? Let's begin by looking and studying the phrase itself, the fear of the Lord. Uh, through, though the theme of fearing God is, is a theme that's found throughout Scripture, uh, as I was kind of doing some study this, this week, I, it was interesting that the phrase fear of the Lord only appears a couple dozen times. Only two times in the New Testament and 23 or so times in the Old Testament. And of those times it appears in the Old Testament, the vast majority of those times are found in the book of Proverbs. Let's look at that word, that word fear. Let's do a little word study. The word for fear in, in Hebrew is yura. You want to say that with me? Yura. There you go. You know a little Hebrew. If you recall from week one, I don't know if you recall this, but I certainly do as I was studying this. But we were working through this just briefly, just kind of just touching on this phrase, fear of the Lord. I found myself personally a bit uncomfortable with this concept of the fear of the Lord. And so I, in, in my, what I emphasized, I kind of diminished some of the more uncomfortable aspects of fear. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but week one, I was kind of choosing to focus on the idea of appropriate awe and reverence toward God, which is totally part of this. Uh, because in my mind, as I was thinking about the fear of the Lord, uh, this kind of, like, if I, fear as in terror kind of brought my, my mind and my heart to my kids who are sometimes afraid of the dark or scared of monsters. And I'm like, certainly that's not the posture we are to have to God, like a child fearing monsters. And so I emphasized and kind of diminished other parts. And so all of a sudden, but then this week I get to kind of the word study of, of fear, yura, and this is what I found. Yurah, it's on the screen, a Hebrew word. It's a noun meaning fear and, and yes, moral reverence. But also in the definition is, is meanings of, of exceeding fearfulness, dread. The word in the Hebrew definitely also means fear as we typically use the word in the English language to mean terror or fright or shock or dread. Now it's possible, it's possible that, that those differences could simply be contextual Right? And what I mean by that is when we're reading scripture, this word is used in multiple places. When we're reading scripture, it maybe depends on the context. And maybe in certain contexts, terror would be appropriate. But when it's used for God, then awe and reverence would be appropriate. And, and maybe there's some truth to that. But let's look at some other examples. Let's look at, at some examples where, where someone has an encounter with the living God. Specifically, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 6. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, you're certainly welcome to do that. We're going to have that text on the screen. But the prophet Isaiah, if you remember, he's a prophet serving around the time of exile. He's serving at this time as high priest. And we know that because he's entering the Holy of Holies, where, where the Ark of the Covenant is. And, and Isaiah has this vision, which becomes his calling, and you remember this well-known statement, here I am, send me, you might remember that. But so Isaiah 6 is a well-known passage. Uh, let's read this, and, and, and I highlighted some of the things. Tell me, if you were Isaiah witnessing this, if you'd be a little terrified. Little, little, little experiment, okay. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. I think we're doing okay so far. Uh, the train of his robe filled the temple, meaning just the edge of his, his robe has filled the entire temple. 
It's a little intimidating. Uh, okay, above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. Two, they covered their feet. And two, they were flying. Okay, I'm getting a little nervous. I don't know about you. Uh, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Whew. That's kind of terrifying, right? Like, like, can we just be, be real and, and admit for a moment, like, if we just saw this, we stepped into a place and we saw this, like, to see the Lord sitting on this massive throne, so big, so, so infinite that the edge of his robe is filling this temple space, that then to see these creatures with six wings flying around singing a song, and the song that they're singing is literally shaking the temple at its core, and the place is filling with smoke. Like if, that, if it's that moment that you decided to sport your No Fear t-shirt from the 90s, like you are out of your mind, Right? Like, that's a pretty terrifying kind of sight to behold, particularly out of context. But here's the thing. Whenever people, particularly in the scriptures, witness and glimpse the glory and the power and the holiness of God, they are afraid. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. Think of this. Let's say you're, 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 you're at a national park and, and you step to the edge of a cliff. And it might be beautiful and wonderful. And you look down and should you have a little bit of healthy fear? Yeah, so that you don't step too far. Or let's say you're, you're, you're outside and it's a sunny, bright, sunny day. And, and, and what, what do you know not to do? Like you learn this at a young age with the sun. Like don't look at the sun. Like you should be afraid to look at the sun because if you stare at the sun for too long, it will damage your eyes, your retinas, right? When, when we are in the presence of something powerful and, and, and majestic and powerful, there should be a certain level of fear. God's power and holiness is simply too great for us to bear, like the power of the sun. And if we're getting too close, there should be a certain level of fear. There's, fear is an appropriate response. Now notice what happens. Notice how Isaiah responds to the Lord. Uh, this, this fear is kind of an initial response and that fear within Isaiah produces a posture immediately. It's a posture of humility. That's, that's key. That is so key. It produces a posture of humility which leads to confession and reverence. Verse five, if you're following along. Isaiah sees this vision, cries out in, in fear, I assume. Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The sight of holy, almighty God produces in Isaiah this sincere humility because he knows in a moment that he is absolutely unworthy to be in the presence of God Almighty. He understands that God is, is infinitely beyond him. That he is a mere human being. That, that God is God and Isaiah's thinking, and I am nowhere close to that. And what does it lead him to? It leads him to immediately confess his own sin. I am a man of unclean lips. Now recognize, he is in the temple as the high priest, like gone through some purification. Like he is maybe the most qualified human being uh, in, among the people to be in the presence of God. He has to be. He's the high priest, he's, right? And yet even Isaiah recognizes, I am so far beyond God's holiness, God's might. And in that moment, he declares this honor and reverence to God. I've seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Being in the presence of God for Isaiah immediately reveals the difference between God and Isaiah being a human being. I, I think we recognize this. Like when you're in the presence of excellence or greatness, even on a, a far lesser level. I mean, have, have you ever been to a professional sporting event? Have you ever actually like been close to the action or like met like a professional athlete? And you're, th you know, like before that, you're kind of like, yeah, I was pretty good in high school. You know, like I, I could whip the football. And then all of a sudden you stand next to someone who, who maybe on TV looks small and you're like, 
oh my word, I would, I would get crushed in professional football or basketball. Like, like the difference is just astounding and that's just human to human. Or, or, or take it with musicians. Like if you, if you play with like a, a music, like whoa, like you realize that you're not up to that standard. And, and, and how many more times is that the case for those who enter the presence of God? Like the difference is astounding. And we recognize that we are unworthy if we're in the presence of our great God Almighty. Now, now we might be thinking, well, but with, what about with Jesus, right? What about with Jesus? Like, it's different with Jesus, right? Like, he took on flesh, he walked among us, he was loving, and, he, and yeah, like, in bodily, in like, human form, right? Yeah, that, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you there. But what about Revelation chapter 1? John is on the island of Patmos. He has this vision. Right here, chapter one, he has this vision of Jesus Christ. We, we won't read all this, but the risen Lord, the, the God, Jesus Christ in all his glory, and what does he see? Kind of highlighted in yellow there. He sees this vision of Jesus like a son of man dressed in a robe with a gold sash, white hair, eyes of fire, feet that are bronze like in a, like in a furnace. He's holding seven stars. This is Jesus, right? Face shining like the sun. S-U-N, son, right? And how does John respond when he sees this vision of Jesus Christ in his glory? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as as though dead. Do we have an appropriate fear of the Lord? Do we have an accurate vision of who God is? An accurate vision and understanding of the greatness and the majesty and the holiness of God? Do we have an appropriate response to God's greatness? To respond in humility like, you are God, I am not. Have we actually begun to grasp how great our God is, considered it, marveled at it, at God's power, at God's holiness? And if we do, and if we begin to kind of grasp it, friends, we should be falling at our knees, recognizing we don't measure up. A fear of the Lord. Now, once we find ourselves in this, this space of, of humility and reverence, you've got to notice that God has a response. This fear of the Lord. God's response is a response of grace. That's the testimony of Scripture. God's response is a response of grace. God responds to his people with grace. When we come to the Almighty and and we appropriately fear God, we, we, we humble ourselves in reverence. We confess that we are not worthy. God's response is grace. Notice in Isaiah 6, this is what happens immediately following what we just read. And one of the seraphim, these, these creatures, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah responds fear, humility, reverence, and says, woe is me, confesses that he is unworthy to be in God's presence and he is met with the forgiveness of God. And from that moment, then God calls Isaiah to be the mouthpiece, to God's mouthpiece to the people. God responds, is a response of grace that comes out of what? This, this response of grace comes out of God's character, of who God is. He is good. He is loving, he is faithful. So often, actually in the scriptures, the response of God is is actually to say, fear not, do not be afraid. Mary encounters an angel, the shepherds encounter an angel, they're terrified. What What does the angel say? Do not be afraid. It's a response of grace. A response to, when we respond to God's power and holiness, that fear then is settled in light of who God is, his character. In fact, this is what happens to John when he has this vision of Jesus in his glory in Revelation 1. Let's pick up verse 17, right where we left off. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. 
I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Do not be afraid, says Jesus. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am the living one. I I have power over death. Death itself, and what is Jesus saying to John, and what does Jesus say to us? And I am for you, and I am with you. I love you. You don't need to be afraid. You see, these two ideas, within these two ideas, these truths, there is this paradox, this, this balance, this, this tension, if you will, A paradox of of fear of the Lord, which we see in Scripture, and yet this response God is also giving so often. In fact, God says, do not be afraid far more than we see this phrase, fear of the Lord. Do not be afraid, fear not. We see this paradox because both can be and both are very true. In fact, I'd argue that, that they hold one another together in an appropriate balance. There's an appropriate fear of the Lord. Yes, because God is almighty, powerful, and holy. Right? Just like in, in creation, we have an appropriate fear of things like fire. Or if you've ever been in the ocean, when it's crashing waves, you should be a little afraid, right? Or if you encounter a wild animal that's much bigger than you, you should experience some fear because those things are more powerful than you. And they should produce a healthy fear. It's for your survival, right? God's wired us that way. If they weren't powerful, there'd be no need to fear them. You don't need to fear the beach when it's a calm, gentle day. But it's also true that God's character of love and grace eases that fear. So often in Scripture, as I mentioned, the angel of the Lord says, do not be afraid because guess what? Unlike fire or waves or wild animals, our God has a will and a character that is good, that is loving, that is for you, that is one you can trust. Do you hear the tension? Are you seeing? Are you with me? Here's the thing. Without this balance of these two things, we sometimes and we often fall into unhealthy extremes, even as Christ followers. Without a, without a healthy fear of the Lord, Jesus just kind of becomes our, our buddy, right? Buddy Jesus we put on there, right? Without a healthy fear and reverence of God, like Jesus is just our own personal yes man, right? He becomes kind of our sidekick with really no authority or power or authority over our lives. When we lack a vision for Christ's lordship, his power, his holiness, we end up with this kind of buddy Jesus. But on the other side, like if we don't hear the gracious, loving, good voice of our God saying, do not be afraid, without this robust understanding of God's character, his goodness, his love, his mercy, then what, com- what happens? Then God becomes on this other extreme. He becomes this angry and vengeful and spiteful God just sitting in heaven waiting to punish us when we make a mistake. And again, that is not a healthy view of God. We need both of those realities. And I think what we see in our culture is, is the pendulum kind of switches, kind of swings it's like, oh man, we've really had this angry God and so it kind of goes the other side. And like, So what's this balance of fearing the Lord and yet, and yet hearing the voice of our God saying, fear not? See, our God is, is holy and almighty, but our God is also good and loving. Both of those things are incredibly true. Sometimes it's difficult to to understand kind of paradoxes and we have a hard time explaining those tensions and those paradoxes. Uh, But C.S. Lewis actually explains this brilliantly in his novel, The The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I'm sure some of you are familiar. C.S. Lewis explaining this tension, this paradox to children. So I think we can understand it as well. The scene is the children are getting ready to meet Aslan, the lion, Right? Aslan is, is the, the Christ figure in the Narnia novels. He is a powerful, mighty lion, but he represents Jesus Christ. And Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are trying to help the children understand who Aslan is. And so let me just read an excerpt from the book. Who is Aslan, says, asks Susan. 
Aslan, said Mr. Beaver, why don't you know he is the king? Is, is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I, I thought he would be a man. Is, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Well, that you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. Understanding the fear of the Lord is understanding how both of these things are true about God. That God is powerful, yes, but God is also good. And if we can hold both of those we're on the path toward wisdom, as the proverb says. So how do we wrap this up? What's the result of this, this healthy fear of the Lord? Uh, the fruit, if you will, of the fear of the Lord. Let's return to Proverbs uh, chapter 14 was the last two verses we read this morning together. Uh, speaking of some of the fruit of the fear of the Lord, two things that we'll just kind of focus on. Obviously, there's a lot more we could go into, but Proverbs 14, verses 26 and 27 points out two things. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. A fear of the Lord, uh, according to these two verses, leads us to two things, a secure fortress and a fountain of life. Two images that I think help us understand the benefits of a healthy and balanced fear of the Lord. Let's begin with a secure fortress, a refuge. A healthy fear of the Lord comes from an understanding of God's power, right? C.S. Lewis' description of Jesus as a powerful lion, I think, is actually really helpful. Aslan the lion is, is the most powerful creature in all of Narnia, in all the land. This inspires fear but it also inspires a confidence. Are you with me? Because who's the enemy in Narnia? The white witch, right? But even the white witch trembles and can't even look Aslan in the face because he is powerful to defeat her. We have a secure fortress and a refuge in the Lord. Now imagine if Aslan was, was like a cute puppy or a kitten, right? You wouldn't be afraid of, of a cute puppy or a kitten, but guess who else wouldn't be afraid of a cute puppy or kitten? The white witch or anyone else? A fear of the Lord that comes from the power and the majesty of God brings with it a security and a comfort because we know that our God is powerful. And he doesn't lack power and ability or authority like some kind of buddy Jesus image. No, he is powerful and mighty and out of that comes a hope and a confidence because we believe in Jesus Christ who is the king, who is a lion. We have security and hope for a future that is promised because one day we understand that the king will return and has the power and the authority to make all things new. As Revelation tells us, he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more crying or mourning or death. We serve a king who is Jesus Christ our Lord. A secure fortress. Second, verse 27 reminds us that this fear of the Lord brings a fountain of life. A fountain of life. This image, I don't know about you, but I, I read this image particularly recognizing that a fountain like of water, people who live in an arid desert, a fountain of life reminds us of God's provision, God's rest, a God who walks with us, who leads us toward life and fullness. 
This is an image that reminds us of the character, the love, and the goodness of God. Reminds us that God is our loving Father. God is is one who calls us his, his children, his beloved. Our God is for us. Aslan is, is a lion, but he's, he's not like a lion that we have in our world. He's not some kind of out-of-control wild beast. Aslan is good. He has a will. He's wise. He's loving. He's for you. And friends, this is where the images of an angry, spiteful God fall drastically short. If we are consumed by fear, if we are motivated and overwhelmed by fear and tirelessly motivated to strive and to to avoid punishment and condemnation, friends, this too is a distorted and incomplete vision of God and an incomplete vision of Jesus Christ and it does not lead us toward life. In Christ Jesus, we have one who who loves us and loved us so much, and you know the extent that he went because of that love. He stepped into this brokenness. He laid down his life. He took the brokenness of sin and death upon himself. Why? Because he loved you and he wasn't about to bring forth his kingdom without you being part of it. And even today, we have one, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, who promises to walk with us through the struggles and the hardship of life. He walks with us, and he leads us toward life in him. In Christ, we have the full picture of the Lord, one who is worthy of our fear, reverence, awe, yes, and one who says to each of us, do not be afraid, I am for you and I am with you. And one day, I'm gonna come, and this is all gonna be made new. This is the good news. This is our hope. This puts us on a path toward wisdom and understanding. You join me and pray and thank God for this gift. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for for the testimony of your people, which so often helps us wrap our minds around truths about who you are and what that means for our own lives. We, We thank you for your prophet Isaiah. We thank you, God, for, for servants of you and, and, and theologians and thinkers like, like C.S. Lewis that help us wrap our minds around these important things. But Lord, may we always remember who you are. May that bring about a, a, a level of humility and reverence and awe because, because you are God and we are not. But Lord, may we also remember that you are God who is for us, not against us. May you continue to, to walk with us, lead us, comfort and challenge us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
you're facing today, but there is great comfort in the words we just sang, the truth we just remembered, that our God is great. Our God is powerful. And the truth that, that our God, in his majesty, gave it up to step into this world. Jesus Christ stepped into our brokenness. He gave his life so that we could share in his glory. So I don't know what you're facing today, but find comfort in the fact that our God is great, that he is for you, not against you, and one day he will return and make all things new. That is our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And can I get an amen for that? (laughs) So as we enjoy some of the, the, the wonders of God's creation, donuts, coffee, fellowship with God's people, may we be mindful of his greatness. And as you go from here, receive his blessing upon you. Feel free to open your hands to receive it. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. God's people say, amen. Amen. Give me grace to not offend, nor let me be the moment give me eyes to be the hearts of men inspire hope to risk again take chances for your kingdom I choose today to spend my life with them I want to be like you I want to be like
represent you well.